about this is, uh, you know, that negative thought you've been having, and uh, I just, uh, I just can't let you try and change yourself without a fight, so, uh, go ahead and just turn this show off, okay, and, um, uh, yeah, everything's still fine. This is Blindsight with your host, Bill Lundgren, an AINC original podcast. Is there you? We're not holding back truth. We're here to help you heal and become the best you possible. Here's the chair. Here's the pillow. Here's Bill. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Blindsight, produced by the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This is Blindsight, and I'm your host, and we focus on mental health, mental wellness. And today, I'm really delighted to introduce my guest, uh, Jen Creasy, who will be talking, uh, we want to talk about aging. And I know that's a subject not many of us want to admit to, but yes. Uh, and Jen is a certified, a licensed certified social worker who's had 25 years of working with the aging population and also with end-of-life issues. And she has a lot of experience. She just recently retired, but she's had a lot of experience to bring to us in talking about this subject. Welcome to Blindside, Jen. Thank you, Bill. And I, for, for uh, uh, everyone to know, Jen and I, I've uh, known each other for a while. We sometimes are hiking partners. She does a lot of hiking. So uh, certainly this is fun for me as well as I hope for Jen. Oh, Jen, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Jen, what do you think that people need to focus on in terms of when we talk about aging? What are the issues that you know, you experienced for 25 years in the field. Let's break that question down a little bit. That's very broad. Um, so it is can broad, you give and we could talk for hours. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. what, uh, what I was thinking of is, you know, audience may or may not have some questions about, uh, even about knowing what the issues of aging, how does it differ from, say, adolescence? How does it differ from the other things that we have to constantly deal with? And what, to you, is the, the top couple of issues that people have to address, to deal with? Mm, okay. So one thing I'll say is when we talk about aging, um, it does. It has a lot of facets to it. And it's also, you talk about adolescence. Adolescence at one level is a rather defined period of our life. Um, aging can be a huge segment of our life. Um, you know, the AARP says, you know, they start letting us subscribe at age 50, or there's a lot of public assistance programs that are available to us at 62. Um, I am very proud to be 65, and when I turn 60, and again, when I turn 65, I'm getting to access various, uh, you know, reduced fees at the rec center or at the theater, et cetera. So it's a really individual concept for people in terms of when they would define themselves as starting to age. Um, 
retirement sometimes is a signal of that. But these days, people do everything from retiring at 57 to 82 or plus. So um, so the things I think are important for people to keep in mind is that like a lot of seasons in our life, we, we all age differently. We all have different lifestyles, different priorities, different values. Um, I would um, say, you mentioned I'm a hiker and so on. I think one of the most important things or things, oh, yeah, sorry, there's several areas I think that are very important. If we want to start talking about successful aging, um, what the literature, what the research shows is that exercise is, it's real. It's really important. And um, whether you're you know, walking a half hour a day, um, whole continuum of exercise, but that just that reality that we stay physically active. Um, more, there's you know so much out there about good nutrition. Um, so eating well, um, and of course that has a lot of. You know, I could go on and on about that, but I think you know the, that those wise choices of fruits and vegetables, good protein, um, not you know watching our fats, that type of thing. Um, the other component for successful aging that's really important is hydration, making sure um, that we're getting enough to drink and so on. And and that can't be eight cups of coffee a day. It needs to be, you know, a cup of coffee and seven glasses of water. Or um, the other thing that's been more recent in the research that they're just showing is more and more important is getting enough rest. And so sometimes as people get older, and it varies, sometimes people find they need to sleep eight or 10 hours. Um other people find they get by with six, but the important thing is to allow yourself to get as much sleep as your body seems to want. Um, that they're just discovering that that's a very important component of aging. So, um, I know I'm talking a lot. Do you want me to continue a little more? <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm particularly interested in what you're talking about sleep because we don't talk about that that much and yeah and what i hear from a lot of people as they get older is i don't sleep as well or as long or and and they're not even they're having trouble defining what is meant by sleep mm. good sleep good sleep when when so there's a continuum there and and i think one of the measures I oftentimes would use with my clients is what's distressing to you. And so I had a client and she loved to stay up and read till two or three in the morning. And then she'd sleep till 11 o'clock in the morning. And she was really distressed by it. And, and we talked about it and it's like, why not? You know, you, you're enjoying it. You love your books. You're getting a good night's sleep and you have that freedom. It's okay if you sleep till 11 in, in the you know, morning. Um, but if it gets distressing to the point that people, yes, that there is a point where, yes, you absolutely need to let your doctor know. Um, we always, in a lot of these things we'll probably be talking about, we always want to rule out medical concerns. So, right. so if people are really struggling with sleep, it is an important thing to talk to their doctor about because it could be an indication of other medical issues. Um, mm -hmm. the other thing is just discovering kind of what your body needs and being gentle with yourself. So if you really discover you can go to bed every night at midnight and wake up at six in the morning and you're good to go, then go for it. If you're somebody, like I said earlier, that needs to go to bed at nine and get up at seven, go for it. Um, 
The other thing to be mindful of is, is how you navigate naps or, you know, resting during the day. And again, that's a really individual thing for some people. It's wonderful if they can take a nap for a few hours and then go do something they enjoy that evening. Um, other people, if they find if they take some kind of nap, it really does disrupt, disrupt their uh, nighttime sleep. So there's a, just, like I said, huge continuums in all of this. And I think what I'll return to once again is it's, it's really finding what works well for you and not what worked well for your neighbor or for your sister, ah. but really discovering kind of what your body needs. And we can talk more about this shortly because we're talking about very practical, you know, exercise, drink yeah. and mm -hmm. sleep and so on. Um, but also how some of these things impact our other aspects of well-being in terms of our social life and social activity and, and purpose and volunteering and so on. So it, it feeds into, again, if we have the energy to be doing the other things we want to be doing, that's a good sign. But what I'm hearing you say, it's really these kinds of decisions are individual. What? How much sleep do I need? How much uh, exercise? How much this, that, or the other thing, we have to uh, pay attention to our body, and we don't do that a lot of times. We mm. think there's some cardinal rule that we're supposed to follow because there's a lot in the literature, or, you know, or, or uh, Fox News, or somebody says you should, uh, you should do this, that, or the other thing, and if we don't conform, then there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. We need to pay attention also uh, to uh, things that have changed, which is like uh, for, for a number of our people who are listening, uh, their eyesight is deteriorating or they have macular degeneration. And, you know, that may be very scary and may mean uh, they're not sure what they can do now under the present circumstances. And what do we do then? What do we, you know, how can we uh, help them, help somebody to understand, okay, that's just part of, you know, who you are, and here's the adaptations you have to make to take care of yourself. Exactly. And again, that's a, a very individual process for each person. I think we always need to be careful of the word should, so when we start having that in our vocabulary, it's a good time to say, wait a minute, where's that coming from? Is that something that really fits for me? Because um, the last thing we need to do is be kind of guilting our, you know, guilt tripping ourselves right, and so right. on. Um, and again, I think it's a, it's kind of a process of discovery in regard to, I personally feel like my energy is a little different. I don't feel like I have quite the level of energy that I did maybe five, 10 years ago. Um, and so it is kind of an exploration for me to say, okay, um, maybe I, if I have a really vigorous hike one day, maybe the next day I do need to just take a more leisurely walk or just discover, discovering those things that help us, you know, have that nice stability and continuity of, of how we're um, feeling and so on. Adaptation. Again, we could do a whole podcast on adaptation sure. because mm -hmm. I feel like that's such an important attitude. And attitude is another very important. How can we honor ourselves? Some people are more positive in their attitude. Some people more negative. But attitude has a lot to do with successful aging in terms of having 
as positive of attitudes as possible. And so somebody who has been able to, you know, hike six or eight miles a day and, and now they're needing to hike maybe two or four miles a day when they hike, that's an adaptation. And, and they can either embrace that and say, wow, I'm so glad I can still hike. And yes, I have to shorten them or I, maybe I can't go up to 11,000 feet anymore, but I can still hike and get out and enjoy nature and my friends. Opposed to somebody who might just say, okay, I'm done hiking. And that's, that's not a successful adaptation. And that doesn't serve us well. And so that whole attitude, adaptation and acceptance, accepting. I one time heard, um, I'll give him credit. Some people might know who Richard Rohr is. Years and years ago, I heard Richard Rohr and he said, um, that maturity is the joyful acceptance of our limitations. And I thought mm. that is brilliant. Um, cause that's, again, that's just one of those like, hold on to that and apply that to the various aspects of aging. That's a good point. I think the, the thing that I find sometimes that the, the barrier to uh, self-acceptance is like other family members deciding that we should do or shouldn't do, and it should. Uh, when, I, when a client talks uses the word should, I say that's a shaming word. We mm -hmm. try to get people to stop doing that. But we have our family members who think that someone, oh, you, you're too old to do that, or you're, you know, uh, you know, you might hurt yourself. And what they, they feel they're protective. And that can be as much of a barrier as our own thinking. How do we get, get our family to just let us try and maybe even allow ourselves to, you know, a, a minimum to... Uh, exhaust ourselves, or uh, you know, maybe even uh, hurt ourselves in a in a small way, just to see what the limits are, to stretch the limits for ourselves, and accept that it won't be the same limits as when we were sixteen. Yeah, I the the whole family dynamic is again another podcast, <laughs> but. Um, I think one, there are several things I would say to families when I felt like they potentially were inappropriately kind of um, intervening with their family members was um, to kind of turn it back on to them. So a family member would get so alarmed that their loved one left the stove on one evening. And so I would look at the family member and say, and you've never left the stove on? <laughs> so to kind of help them see, oh, wait a minute, that's we all leave the stove on sometimes. You know, what gets concerning is if it becomes a regular pattern. Right, um, right. The other thing I would say sometimes to family members is really challenge them to say, okay, you put yourself forward. Let's pretend you're 80 years old and these are the things that are true about, you know, your health and you're still strongly competent and you're active. Would you want your adult child putting restrictions on you? That sometimes helps them like, oh, wait a minute. I don't want to be treated like I'm treating my parent when I'm older. Um, there's that joke about, you know, how you were, well, no, I, sorry, let's edit that out. Never mind. Um, and the other thing I think you, um, that's important in talking to family members is for those adult children who are also raising children, they are modeling to their children how to care and respect and relate to those who are older. And that sometimes is a real motivation yeah, for parents. Yeah, that would be because an oops. <laughs> they, Say what? 
that would be an oops. Uh, you know, I'm teaching my children to uh, handle me this way that, uh, you know, that I really shouldn't be doing to my parents or my, my family exactly. members. Yeah, good idea. What about isolation? What, at least stereotypically, we talk about uh, older people tending to withdraw. That is, to because they're afraid to go out, or they, uh, you know, how do, you know, how do we work around that and get people to feel, no, like you were talking hiking, but I have a feeling that there are a lot of older people out there who say, oh, I can't do that, that, you know, I can't see well, or I, you know, whatever, and it, it's also just more comfortable for me to stay home. Mm. So let's, what I'd like to do is go to each end of the continuum and then get back to the middle. So one thing I think is always important as we work and support folks that are aging is who they've been historically. And so sometimes a family member gets concerned, like, oh, my gosh, my mother just like she stays home a lot and she's, you know, not getting out and so on and so forth. And sometimes I'll say to them, well, who has she been historically? And then they will say, oh, you know, come to think of it. She is somebody who enjoys being at home a lot. She enjoys her own company. She likes to read. And so it is important to always keep people in the context of kind of all of who they've been and who they are. I think the other, and then going to kind of another end of a continuum, so to speak, is that, and this is talking very much about end of life. When when people are really starting to approach the end of their lives, um, and this could be in the last few years of their lives or the last few months of their lives, we naturally do tend to go more inward and more the circle of people that we want to engage with and we want supporting us typically does get smaller. And so it's also being sensitive to some of those natural things as our lives do start to wind down. Um, do those two things make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so then returning more to the middle ground, um, yes, again, there's a lot of literature and in, you know, evidence out there that, that isolation is, is very, it's right up there with you know, good nutrition and drinking well, exercising, et cetera. Um, and so getting, helping people get creative with how they deal with potential isolation in terms of um, are there, well, they could be on the telephone with more regularly. Are there people that they could be having Zoom meetings with um, family members, friends, et cetera? Um, again, looking at who they've been historically, if somebody's been part of a faith community, is there are there ways that either uh, other members in that faith community can help them get to services or can help them stream services? Um, are there um, different recreation opportunities in terms of the local senior rec center. Um, transportation, of course, becomes very important in terms of if that's becoming a barrier to people to, to get out and about. Um, so helping people look at what are the transportation resources. And what was funny to me over the years, not funny, but it was always a kind of a fun reminder of people, people would stop driving. And so we would talk about, you know, hey, you could you could take Uber to this event or you could take a cab or, oh, no, 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 I can't afford that. 
But then we'd say, well, wait a minute, you know, you don't have a car payment anymore. You're not paying gasoline. You're not maintaining a car. You're not licensing it. And the like penny would drop for some people and say, oh, my gosh, I do have a kind of a bucket of money that I can budget towards myself out and about. Um, the other thing I think with isolation is, um, and this is a theme a lot with aging, is helping people to build a team of people that offer support. And so, um, for example, a neighbor might be really willing to help somebody go grocery shopping every other week if they know there's other people helping this person with their other transportation needs. Nobody wants to feel like they're going to be the one and only helping this person with transportation. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing, and this connects to isolation, sometimes uh, people are hesitant, hesitant to ask people for help. Yes. But that is almost always a reciprocal interaction. So if I'm asking somebody to help me go to the grocery store, the person that's helping me is getting several benefits. One is, quite honestly, they're probably thrilled, like, yay, I can still drive. And it makes me feel good to help this person get to the grocery store. But also while they're driving to the grocery store, they're having a visit and they're um, exchanging, you know, some of the things they're struggling with. And the person that's driving is having somebody be a listening ear for them. So I'm also a real believer in always looking for the reciprocity in relationships and that there's, we rarely aren't receiving something from the other that we're relating to. When my dad was at end of life and he was napping in, our, in his den, I would go in the den and just sit with him. And it was just such a gift. I was you know, I was, had a career, I had children at home, I had a home, I had a struggling marriage, and I could just go sit and be with my dad and be still and be quiet. And so even in that state, he was giving me something. That's a very nice thought. Because we do forget, uh, if we're older, we, we feel like, a, we can feel like a burden. And what you're saying, no, we're not. Uh, we're actually contributing by just being there and being allowed to be helped. It, it, it gets back, I think, Bill, to attitude in terms of I'm, I am much more going to want to take somebody to the grocery store who's being kind of upbeat and fun and glad I can help them um, and is also appreciating it. Um, appreciation is so important as we, you know, we're, that's just how we're wired. We'd much rather be helping somebody that's being appreciative and trying their best and having a good attitude than somebody who's complaining. Um, on the other yeah. hand, sometimes we have to again step back and say, Oh, you know, this person's always been kind of a complainer. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to roll with it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And sometimes our mood can change. You know, I'm saying our, as, as senior, as a senior, which I, uh, am still wrestling with. Uh, but, to be for the the other person has to be able to just let us be where we are at the time and know that it'll just be a ten or, or encourage us to just have that temporarily but know that there are times when we may feel the heaviness like losses and things like that and it has to be acceptance on the part of the family member or the friend or the neighbor or whatever where we are, and also to self-acceptance. Uh, yes, and that's where we can encourage family members and friends that that ability just to be alongside somebody and that we 
Yes, if somebody's feeling a sadness, we don't need to fix that. We don't need to try to talk them out of it. We can be alongside of them and and we could perhaps ask you know, what might be helpful to them. Um, sometimes you hear it referred to compassionate detachment. Um, but I mm. think that's another really important thing as we support people who are older is to really honor their reality and to have the freedom to recognize, wow, quite honestly, I'm really glad I can you know, go hiking for six miles. Um, and I can still delight in that. And I can also be alongside somebody who's really needing to cut back on their physical activity. Um, so that being really clear, like where we stop and somebody else starts. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, there are times when, it, well, the, right now there's so much talk about dementia, Alzheimer's, and so forth. That's pretty scary. And I know that, uh, you know, there there are times when, uh, you know, somebody's in the kitchen and they run to the, they say, oh, I've got to do such and such in the bedroom. And they get to the bedroom and they don't remember why they went into the bedroom. Uh, there's a panic reaction that can, can occur. Or, you know, am I becoming what I'm most afraid of being? And, you know, how can... You know, how can people deal with that and how can family members help people to just accept where they are? Because there really isn't a whole lot that can be done, correct? I think one one first step is, is to acknowledge, I think we all do that. I mean, we all sometimes go into another room and think, wait, why did I come here? Um, so sometimes that being gentle with ourselves and so on. Uh, one of the things that I, especially today in our society, one of the, we start, to, we start to look at different tools that can help us cope with changes. And so, for example, I think a big tool is learning to be more present to the moment and giving ourselves permission to do one thing at a time. And that is just not a message we get um, enough in our society. There's a lot of value on multitasking and being very mm -hmm. efficient and so on. And so how do we give ourselves permission to like, you know, right now I'm cleaning the bathroom. I need to go to the cupboard and get my comet or whatever. And just being in that moment and staying focused on, I'm going back to get the cleaning supplies um, is I believe a very valuable tool. It can be valuable to start to pay attention to maybe even start to keep kind of a diary of when you catch yourself maybe being forgetful um, so that you get a sense of, okay, is this, this happening a lot? Is this just happening every once in a while? Is this a real change in either my own behavior or my loved one's behavior? Um, Another tool I'll throw out, this is kind of a little here and there, but um, is I find it really helpful to have consistent places that I put things. And so um, I've gotten in the habit, I just always put my car keys in a particular pocket in my purse when I'm going out. And if I'm going, if I've gotten home, I have a very specific place I put my keys. And so creating those kind of points of routine and consistency so that, yeah, we we know where we keep um, our various things and so on, whether it's keys, wallet, our 
tell our phones a big one, like kind of keeping our phone in a consistent place um, so that we have a sense of where our phone is. And I think particularly for someone whose vision is deteriorating, that becomes doubly important to reassure ourselves, to, to find different ways if someone has macular, for example, to be able to say, I have to do some extra things to feel comfortable with this change that's taking place. And you you raise right I think place. a whole other important theme in successful aging, and that is what can we do proactively? How can yeah. we prepare for things? And so, if somebody is realize is if somebody be, is dealing with the knowledge that their vision is going to be deteriorating, how can they start to set up their home in a way that is is safe, is maybe better organized? How do they start potentially getting rid of some things? Um, also, how do people go through things like photo albums or journals or things that really do require our vision? Um, how do people want to deal with some of the memorabilia of their lives while they still have sight that's strong enough to do that um, without overwhelming themselves and without becoming totally consumed with it. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But people with both vision loss, and it's true with dementia as well, if people, uh, people can be quite successful dealing with aspects of dementia if their environment is staying consistent and familiar and is, is set up in such a way that it's not overwhelming and that they have a simplicity in their environment where, yes, these are, these are where the toiletries are. These are, this is where this is in the kitchen and so on. Yeah, I can appreciate that. And particularly, uh, I know for myself, I recently decided that uh, I've been uh, hitting this one particular uh, in the entryway to the kitchen. So I just happened to have some foam and I put in that area to protect myself because I'm blind. But it's, it's, it's almost like, a, you know, even after all these years, it's still very difficult for us to admit that we're failing. Whatever the, whatever, what we, in fact, even the word failing, I, as soon as I said that, I said, that's not the issue, changing. That we have to admit, oh, I'm older, I'm changing. How do I compensate for that change? And what do I have to do to just be more comfortable. That's what I'm hearing you say. Hello, my name is Jonathan Price. I am the podcast producer here at Audio Information Network of Colorado. I wanted to thank you so much for listening to part one of our conversation surrounding aging with Bill Lundgren and Jen Creasy. We do hope that you found this information helpful and we invite you back next week as they continue this important discussion we would also love it if you could rate and review the show as it does boost our viewer reach and does put us in front of many more people who could use this information. As always, take a listen to our other shows, Aftersight with Penn Street, Topic of the Month with Kim Wardlow, and our newest show, Blind Level Tech with myself and Evan Starnes. If you have any questions for me or Bill or have a guest you would like to hear on the show, please visit aincolorado.org slash podcast dash guest. Thank you for listening to Blindsight and have an excellent week. <laughs>